Welcome to Shardcast, the Brennan Sanderson podcast, where a bunch of mega fans bringing you all the news, discussion, and of course, a whole lot of opinions about Brennan's works, the Cosmere, and beyond. I'm Ian, and joining me is Shannon. Hi, you know me as Gray. Also joining me is Katie. Hello, I'm Aeonine. And this week we're discussing the Frugal Wizard's handbook, not guide, handbook to surviving medieval England, which came out three months ago to patrons, uh, to not patrons, to backers of the Kickstarter. Uh, but turns out trying to schedule a podcast recording the weekend of a major world holiday is ba- a bad idea. So we tried. Out we really everyone. tried. <laughs> yeah. So we're coming to it now. So do we want to start with some general spoiler free impressions of the book? Yeah, let's go in a quick round. Um I can start. Um, I want to say I've read this. I've read this a couple times now. I think I'm pretty positive on it. Um, I'll I'll say I'm not in love with it like the way I am some of the other books. Um, But altogether, when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I liked it. I didn't think it was uh, a waste of my time. Um, I think there I can see that this is not going to be to every Cosmere fan's taste. Um, But also I you get the sense that Brandon knew that and doesn't really mind either mm-hmm. yeah this was my least favorite book that brandon has ever written i think and that's not necessarily because there was nothing i liked in it because there were some things that i liked in it it just also had a lot that i really did not like so you th- there might be a little bit of me uh complaining on this episode they love the salt. We'll get salty. Like we never complain about anything Brandon does. <laughs> That's never, we never do that. Never, not on this podcast. So I'm generally pretty positive. Like going into this book, only knowing the title way back when, I, I had no idea of what to expect. And it was a delightful surprise for me. Of like figuring out because with the Cosmere book, like you you know kind of what you're gonna get. Like the specifics like are always new and fun, but like there's some base level stuff that like you you can know and expect going in. So with the non-Cosmere book, you're like you're just thrown into the deep, deep end. Like who knows what can happen? And I, I like that. So like one of the things I really like really helped me get into it was like like the the setting Anglo-Saxon England. I'm not a scholar of it, but I re- have read a fair number of books kind of set in that setting. So it's like having a frame of reference and like okay, like what spin is Brandon bringing to this was exciting to explore. Yeah. I think like, um, especially at the beginning, I was a little bit put off now getting a little bit into into spoilers and and specific things in the book. um, I thought it was just a little too silly in the first couple pages. Um, It was like it started off with like the joke and then he's like a little dopey, like, what am I doing? Where am I? I'm reading things. And I was like, okay, this is a little bit 
lighter than I than I'm kind of into, but I'll read the book. I'll, I'll keep getting into it. But then it was Brandon. I felt hook the actual setting quite seriously once mm-hmm. once once we were there, once we got into it and we we met people there. And I was like, oh, okay, that sort of like was a relief. I was um, it you kind of do get the sense of uh this is kind of a a bleak world but it's it's one that people do live in and i really felt the the sense of it being lived in um and i was really curious about this like is this brandon speaking from like he's researched this this era before uh and it and it turns out he had done you know actual like this this is a time period he was familiar with um because what's what was really struck me is a lot of writers when they go for sort of even vague medieval things is like they like to go for a later period when there's like more technology um but there was a lot of like cultural elements like um and technology elements that i was really surprised like this is very early they don't have any metalworking this is a this is a point where armies are like a couple hundred people like it's sort of like the the idea of an army of thousands would is shocking so i was like it's it's actually uh even the medieval era itself i was like oh you don't really see people do this low-tech setting and i was like it was very interesting um and he kept and he kept taking it very seriously uh, i really liked that element of it um so I, I sort of like as soon as the the setting started proving that he was taking it seriously that's that was my buy-in um, so when we met like Sefuin and uh, and Aylston and they started to not, we got over John's initial first impression. He's, he's, he thinks he's living in like a fake fantasy world for a, just a second until he gets it. So my first impression on this book was, well, no, let's, let's go back a bit. I was excited for this book. I, I like non-Cosmere books normally. I like going into them knowing that there's going to be something different. And I loved Tress. So I came out of Tress and I was like, okay, I'm excited for every other book now. I'm excited for Frugal Wizard, even though like most people are more excited for the Cosmere books. Yeah, I'm more excited for them. But so so I was excited. And the previews, I had liked the previews. Um, I'd liked the humor. I'd liked I was I was mostly intrigued, but I wanted to see where it was going. So I read the book, and it's hard to remember what my first impression was of this book because my later impressions are so prominent in my mind. But I know that I was excited for it, and I liked the start of it. Until we got into it, but maybe we'll, we'll dive into that in a second. Um, I think yeah. I'm just going to leave it there, yeah. So let's start getting into some spoilery territory what were some of the things the both of you liked about the book well you too of course ian well yeah yeah, yeah. that's a plus. <laughs> that goes without saying of course i'm going to talk about what i liked <laughs> okay i think my favorite parts were john and cephalin um i thought this was really good character work um and so i was like really intrigued i think they were the core part of the what made the book work for me uh was the it's a story of a relationship but like it works for me in a way that brandon doesn't really do that well in other books and that this is like two people's character arcs clicking together um in a way that 
that it makes sense why they why they connect. Sometimes when Brandon writes relationships or even interest between two characters, like it's not always like kind of clear why this felt like like the work was put into the, the specific two characters. And so even just even just outside the idea of a relationship between the two, I thought their actual arcs were just perfect. They like they actually like went on the same journey, but each were uniquely and individually satisfying too. Uh, they weren't dependent on each other to finish their story. I just Oh god, I really I really like it. And I think my favorite part of this whole book is at the end. It's the it's the climax of Sephoin's arc. Um and <laughs> we love Sephoin. That moment, I'm so glad that moment is what got the art. You had to be. It's like I think the emotional climax is sort of Sephoin raging at the sky, you know, just saying like these essentially just being like screw you Woden like you know like you can't do this to us we don't deserve it she's mad but it's also the catharsis of just the recognition like we don't deserve this and it's like so it's true righteous anger and she calls down lightning and whites and it and destruction and it's so satisfying I got very emotional I think that is like what made the book like it's what made it like I wasn't sure what I was going to land on it but that moment I was like I knew okay yeah this 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 is why I like this book is that moment specifically Mm -hmm. uh it was it was the great it wasn't just a great moment it was a great culmination of everything that Sefuin had feared and felt and it, it like and she almost like had like the the fear and anxieties and doubts and self-loathing of her people like on her to release I just thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that that is such a phenomenal scene because it is. It's the like because up until that point, like she's like begging Woden for help. Like, why have you forsaken us? And then it's just like, it reaches a point. It's like, why am I doing this? Screw you! Like, just GTFO, basically. Talking about it, it's making me a little emotional. <laughs> just oh, it was good. <laughs> and it's like we see everything from john's perspective of like lagna basically being there like no this is her moment stay back here let her do it she's got this handled i don't think i have anything to add to that it was just a really great moment Mm -hmm. the best moment possibly yeah Mm -hmm. is there anything specific you liked that you can talk about katie or want to talk about rather or want to talk about Uh, yeah so one thing i liked in this book was Logna, which in part was, I will fully admit it because I have been on a Loki kick recently, um, <laughs> in large part because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, I'm one of those people and I'm so sorry, but I I came into this book kind of in the middle of that and I was like, ooh, Norse mythology. Yay. And spotted the character who well no there there was the story that they told where they mentioned Logna and I was like oh okay so that's the Loki character and then of course you don't realize right away that Thok is Logna Mm -hmm. though I did I started to wonder I can't remember at about what point in the book but I mean you you wonder what she what's going on with her throughout I think and 
I had a few guesses throughout. I don't think I really guessed that she was Lagna until it happened. I, I was kind of guessing that she was Thunor? Thunor? However. Thor. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. like I can't remember. So if I can't remember, I'm just going for their Romanized names. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, when she revealed herself, I was happy about that because I like characters like that. I like the the trickstery kind of disguising and then advising the heroes um, and all of that. And on a more specific note, I also liked that she was gender fluid at the end and mm -hmm. did take a more masculine form uh, because I will take what scraps of non-binary human human-ish representation Brandon will give me at this point. Yeah, Thok slash Lagna, highlight of the book for me. I love like old lady characters <laughs> that just don't care anymore and just do what they want. Like they are the best characters whenever they show up. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I don't remember like when I picked up on the fact that she was Lagna. Like it might have been towards the end i don't recall but like the reveal that like she's his white that's been following him around and also the fact that everybody else knew she was lagna the entire time and that's why they were so weird to her yeah and it was just john that didn't know oh like that's funny I like that. I was willing to go along with John's perspective. I was like, okay, there's something weird here, but I'm sure it's fine. But like, <laughs> so. She gives the explanation of like, oh yeah, like when an old lady like does weird things, everybody thinks she's a witch. I'm like, you are a smart old lady. Yes, work this reputation to your advantage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, Ailstan, Ailstan. However, however we pronounce it. Um, how can we go through the parts we like without mentioning him? He ruled. Yeah, like he was an interesting character. Like he's he's definitely the one I vibed with the least of like the main three. But he's he's just like a good character. Like I felt like he surprised me to succeed. a lot because he didn't quite fit into the trope I thought he was going to. Like he turned out to be less grumpy than I thought he was going to be. He turned out to be a little bit less like hard and like toxic masculinity than I thought. He was like, you know, the the ex he was always like kind of explaining. Ex he's always explaining to John like a little bit uh, because John always has like a modern take a modern filter through how he he can't understand why Elston is acting this way and I thought that was actually really well done in terms of being an audience proxy because I, it felt like a little bit of a pushback against like the Hollywoodification of uh of medieval whatever so we have an expectation of like what they're supposed to act like and it's like actually no it's not um rah rah kill it you know no no emotions kill it it's like he he's he's very He's not stoic, but he has a lot of emotions like deep running, very deep on lock. And it's sort of I think he works well with Safuan to show that there is just a great uh, grief underneath everything 
that this people experiences, the way that they think about things is just completely bound in, up in trauma. The way that they are dying and being killed. And I felt like Ailston, he, he's so deeply emotional that in a way, like I think it throws John and that helped me connect with Elstan more too, just to every time I'm like, oh, this is the kind of man Elstan is. And he's like, I don't know. He got me. He got me. Yeah. And like, he really helps nail it down that like, this is like a less real reality than John came from, but they're still human beings. And it's because mm -hmm. like, I, I also think we run into this in like our world, thinking about people from the past mm -hmm. as being simpler than we are. Yes. Like, but mm -hmm. like, no, they were just like us. Mm -hmm. Just they didn't know as much about certain things. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean their problems were necessarily simpler. It doesn't mean that mm -hmm. they thought all that different of things like mm -hmm. their thought processes and that's kind of why i also thought ryan worked um to kind of go into him for for a bit ryan is like the guy who has all the answers he he can't believe that there is uh actually something going on he doesn't believe that the people of this world could be right about what they're seen and understanding he doesn't think they could possibly understand correctly what's going on here um and that's why i really 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 liked ryan specifically on this axis as opposed to john john doesn't necessarily believe them but he he keeps his open mind and you know he he is willing to be convinced and he he keeps having these talks with alston and stefan and he's like oh I thought you didn't understand, but they keep they keep showing him that they do. And he's like, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong constantly throughout this book. And you in the moment we see Ryan, we see that he's never done that. He's never gone on that journey at all. So that, that's what felt very respectful to Ailstead and Sephawin is that they 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 kind of like felt listened to by John. But the moment we see Ryan, he you can tell in his mind, people like Elstan and Stefan are so small and insignificant. Mm -hmm. And that's I kind of that's the kind of like the biggest hint that he is not the good guy here. It's he they are just so small to him. They are so their thoughts are so uh, meaningless to Ryan. And that was just uncomfortable. They're NPCs to him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are fully fledged people. Yeah. Thinking about it, I was reminded a lot of Perfect State, one of Brennan's other non-Cosmere novellas. Okay. Everybody is just a brain in a jar and like you have your own perfect world like simulation for you. And but like there's this thing between like the live born, which is the real person in the world. And then there's all the machine born who are basically they're they're AI, but like they think they're humans. The difference in how they're treated, the people from John's reality think like, oh, we're more real than these people. Like whatever happens here doesn't really matter. Like Ryan is like, oh, what's important is like taking down Ulrich because of what he's trying to do in their home reality, not because of what he's trying to do here. Yeah. Yeah. Something I liked was the black bear which is this, he gets mentioned like 
a, a decent amount of times. Like he was like the king of the whaleish. They he had a war with the gods and like was was responsible for Freyog's death. Um, this is King Arthur that John apparently doesn't know enough to like make that connection, but I do. And I hey, <laughs> this is King Arthur. Why is King Arthur a villain in this world? I want to know more, Brandon. Please make write a sequel, please. <laughs> Gotta go see what's going on in Wales. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Come on. <laughs> like, apparently he's still alive. Like, he was bound like a landswipe. Like, what's going on? Like, I would love to see villainous King Arthur. Yeah. But like, oh we gotta have a we gotta have another Welsh hero to to keep things interesting and balance that out. That would be very cool. You just don't see that. Yeah. It's like I feel like this is one like one of those like niche parts of like the background world building Brandon came up with, but it's not part of the story, so it doesn't really get explored. And I'm like, but why? You know what why we not? Do? We should read the King Arthur like books, the Knights of the Round Table stuff. I would like let's go, let's go. I just I want to know more about this because this is more than just like a reference. This is like, there is something to it. Like it's, it's a little bit even deeper than another Cosmere book. It's like, Oh, this is our real world mythology. And I don't mind a twist. Um, let's, I, but I want to go see what the original was to see why that was so interesting because I didn't know about this black bear thing. Never, never heard this, this aspect of it before. Yeah. Cause it, it's, it's funny. Cause like there's, a footnote in one of the frugal wizard sections like mythological figures like arthur and robin hood are not available you must choose people who are documented in the historical record but like so it's interesting like a version of arthur is in this world that is also breaking down the laws of physics always work the same mm -hmm. kind of trope because uh for those of you that don't know, Arthur means bear. It's kind of the connection I'm making here. He was also a Welsh hero. This is how I'm reaching this realization. Merlin also gets mentioned. As that being, one, I think, yeah, we caught. Yeah, like Merlin. You mean Merthin? Yes. You are Welsh. <laughs> it's in... I don't know what chapter this is because there's not chapter numbers. It's just an arcane glyph that means nothing to me. Oh, well. So oh we've, we've talked a bit about what we liked. How about what we didn't like? And I'll throw that to Katie first. Okay, so getting into salty things. The main thing that I disliked in this book, and I think that kind of ended up overall ruining it like ruining everything even retroactively for me was john's character when you don't like the main character kinda kind of hurts the book mm -hmm. and the thing mostly that i didn't like about his character was his struggles um mentally and emotionally with himself which there are characters who can do that kind of arc where I like it. But in this specific case, I I did not like how Brandon wrote it, and it affected me on a personal level, which was a good part of why I didn't like it. It hit me a little harder than I would have 
liked it to hit me. <laughs> I am going to give a content warning now for suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. We will put in a chapter in the video description so you can skip past this. Um, and I'll like wave my hands or something if you're if you want to just like mute it or something. Um, but content warning for those things, I will be discussing them uh, in the context of the book. So Brandon had John attempt suicide in this book approximately two times. There was there was at the very end at the dock where he tried a couple times to to take his own life. And Logna called him out and was like, dude, stop. And I am so glad that she did that. Heck yes, Logna. <laughs> um, but there was actually a time before that, which I suspect uh, some people would not or may not be considering as suicide, but that I do personally myself. And I'm just going to go to the, to the book, um, go up here and find a little excerpt. This is in chapter 36 when he's uh, going for the portal machine and he goes, my life had been worthless, but maybe my death could be worth something. And he basically makes a suicide run where he doesn't care if he dies here. He's just trying to get something done. And to me, even if you are attempting to sacrifice your life for the good of something, that is still an attempt to sacrifice your life, you are doing it knowing that you're going to die, intending to take that as an okay consequence. That is sometimes more on the side of passive suicidality than it is an active attempt. But to me, that still qualifies as suicidality. Looking at his mindset uh, throughout the book, um, leading up to this moment, and then, of course, after this moment, where he does not think that living is more important than destroying this portal. Which, you can make an argument that that's fair, that he's trying to save this entire world, and that is more important. But it still upsets me, because he had this entire book going, I'm worthless, I'm worthless, I've washed out of everything I've ever done. I'll never amount to anything. I am an utter failure. This is the only way I can be not a failure. This is the only way I can help. And the narrative in this, this time, supports him. Later on, the, the other time is by the doc, the narrative does not support him. I have my own problem with that, but we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to that in a second. I do not agree with the narrative in this. I think there are ways that you could have written John doing this this sacrificial run without making it so that he is deciding, okay, maybe my death is the way that I can be worth something. Even if this is... I think that there are ways that this can be done better. And I know that Brandon can treat suicide better because he has... Spoilers for the Stormlight Archive books. I know that Brandon can do better with this because he has done it better in Rhythm of War. End of spoilers for the Stormlight books. <laughs> that was all I wanted to just make that comparison. He can do better. Mm -hmm. That's what upsets me about that first attempt, which I would classify as a suicide attempt. The By the docks, 
I'm very grateful that Logna calls him out there and is like, yo, you don't need to do this. Stop. I am not grateful that that in doing that, she and kind of the framing around how those attempts were handled, it it's all very lighthearted. It is treated as, haha, John, you don't need to be doing this. Why are you trying? Don't kill yourself. Which is, I'm glad that there was a, hey, don't kill yourself. But I don't appreciate how it was handled. It wasn't a, oh my goodness, do not kill yourself. Are you okay? Do we need to talk about things? It was instead a, you don't need to do this to do what you're trying to accomplish. Come on, dude. Mm-hmm. Which made me kind of appreciate Logna stopping him and also mildly dislike her for how she stopped him and how she talked to him and treated him. Because on the one hand, I was definitely mentally yelling at him uh, and salty at him and unhappy. But if I had actually been there, that's not, I would have tried to, to not talk to him that way in person. Mm-hmm. It's. It's complicated. Suicide is complicated and mental health is hard sometimes because different people need different things and different people do different things. But overall, I am just very disappointed in this book. And I was upset at John for having this character arc and then ending it with guess I'll die and only being talked out of it just lightheartedly at the end i did not feel at the end that he was like fully safe or that his his character arc had gone in such a way where he had fully gotten over not that you fully getting over something like that kind of self-loathing and self-esteem and feelings of worthlessness is something that takes a long time and so i wouldn't have expected him to just be over it by the end of the book but it would have felt better knowing that there was some kind of progress it is good that he has sethwin as a tie and that he has kind of a purpose in things that he is good at now or like he's going around in the end and helping people but i didn't it didn't feel like he had reached a point mentally where it felt that I was satisfied with his journey. I was just concerned and angry and hurt by him throughout the book, which on some level was because I was personally affected by it. I will I will say that there is that bias, but on an, on the other hand, I just really really did not like his his arc throughout this book and how his character was handled in those ways. And I'm going to say... Thank you for sharing, Katie. Yeah. Um, that was awesome for getting a very difficult subject articulated in such a, I would say, gracious and intelligent way. Thank you. So I had I had a thought as you were explaining, or I had a couple of thoughts. One of the ones is like at the moment at the docks. Um, and so this is more a question like would this, would you think this would have felt differently if um, the moment was kind of lighthearted and it was almost as if 
it was it felt maybe almost too easy like oh if if logna hadn't had such a kind of neat way around it like how would it actually have have gone how would the how would that scene actually have gone if logna didn't have like such a oh duh of course you can do this thing and then it acts like it's resolved but like the actual core uh character moment isn't like if she didn't have a solution and they worked through it a different way would you would you still feel like that this is like john's john is a suicidal person if they had worked through it and kind of specifically acknowledged that they were finding a way so john didn't have to die because john did not want to die and felt that he had things to continue striving for and that there was more to him than just being a worthless failure and if they had kind of em emphasized that like he did not like he wanted the world to not be collapsing or whatever i don't remember like the specific details he was harming the world and unravel the world in some way he has yeah. too much substance mm -hmm. it's like the world unravels around him or something yeah that if he he had wanted that to not happen of course yeah but also had not wanted had not been willing to kill himself yeah. to accomplish that i think that would have helped me yeah and, or that would have been more satisfying where instead it felt like he was willing to just drop of a hat off himself yeah because that. we never really get a moment where he says i want to live or i want to keep mm -hmm. trying uh we never like i can see why that would feel like an unresolved thread of maybe not even thread uh core uh trunk of the character yeah, yeah. It's like th the symptom was treated but not the underlying condition so yeah. like if it, like if it's a definitely a very stable and even firm read of the character that he is suicidal i can see why people wouldn't read him this way but i think this is just like an incredibly um solid read like you like this this is this is a character version of the character that does exist in the text and i don't think there's enough to deny it like based on it like i didn't read it that way um and i like but it's the kind of thing as like as soon as it said i'm like yeah you know what that that seed is in there like i didn't want to throw off your rhythm while you were talking about the the first like passive suicidality moment um because like this is what he does is not exactly rare in in thrillers or action movies or like any other genre mm -hmm. um because it's like sometimes there is like oh no there's a there's a ticking time bomb or there's like a very time sensitive threat and i'm the only one who can do this and they have to make a quick decision in the moment so I wonder if the if the moment would feel different if John was thinking, I don't want to die. I do want to live, but I can't see another way out of it. So I'm going to go into it and hope I make it out. But I have to do this. Like, would that have would that have like totally removed that feeling? Maybe not totally, but I think like, yeah, there were ways that you could have done this where it was a. I'm going to do this hard thing to save everyone else and but it, but it matters that i am ending here as opposed to oh well this is this is an acceptable like there's a difference between going 
I have weighed this and it is more important that all of these people and this world live than it is for me, for me to live. Yeah. And going, well, I'm an acceptable loss. There, mm. One of those has yeah. a certain dismissiveness to your own life. A life, not to do a one-line Stormlight reference, but a life is priceless, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There is a difference between saying this is something that has been considered and is something I choose rather than ch- simply choosing to do it because you don't weigh yourself as heavily. Yeah, like it feels like maybe there's like a weight to the decision or the weight to the emotion that's missing. So it feels like he's being very blasé, very, uh, yeah, dismissive is a good word. He's that that feel that feels to me even more like that's a that's a narrative thing, like mm-hmm. almost like I can see that to to me. I'm like, oh yeah, that feels like more how John was written and not how John is. So it's sort of, even in my mind, I'm all, I am, I'm already separating it into like the character versus like the meta of how the character was written. So I'm like, cause you know, for me, I like John and I'm like, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people identify with feeling like a loser. Like, I think that yeah. that is probably an element that like, um, even if like a lot of things didn't work in the book for some people, like the, the, the actual core, premise of the character is pretty solid because it's like he doesn't he feels like an imposter the whole time and it was like and that's like the part i liked about what connected him with sefa and we'll get into that later it was like just like the imposter but it's uh like if you can read the level of self-loathing that would lead to the thoughts of i don't care if i die like that's different than um him than him want assuming that he wants to live and that this is all just a blip but the text i think doesn't make that explicit enough there are there are just a few moments i would think in like in other media um like there's a very there's a very famous moment in one piece the character explicitly says i want to live and it's like it's very powerful whenever a character says that it's like whenever the text can make it explicit that a character who's been going through this and has struggled with thoughts of wanting to to end it there is an emotional yeah depth a weight uh, a heaviness to the decision to want to die and the decision to want to live again um yeah i totally i can totally see how this is missing uh from yeah. from his arc trying to see what i can add but i i don't think i can add anything to this because well any you did a very good job of explaining your thoughts and shannon you also did a very good job of explaining your thoughts and because i also did not read um john as suicidal but it does make sense yeah i mostly my biggest issue at the end with him trying to commit suicide is i didn't get how it would actually solve the problem like, do you think? Because, like, oh, his body would still be there. Oh, the morbidity of his. Oh, I didn't even think about like, that. I didn't think about that either. His his atoms from the the more real reality are still there. 
That's true. So, so it's also to you, it doesn't even make my, sense on like his thinking level, even, even, yeah. even forgetting like the emotional weight issue. Gotcha. Yeah. And getting into mechanics God. that probably don't Come matter, <laughs> but also like every cell in your body is replaced over like seven years. So it's like, will he eventually become native of this reality? Like, Oh, you are a realm. Or is there like person. some sort of like intrinsic, <laughs> like a soul that makes him more, have more substance. I don't know. We're there would probably be a never funny, going to get this answer. There would probably be a funny frugal wizard handbook page about that being like, well, it's a mystery. Our scientists are working on figuring out, is it the soul or is it the body? And then it would be some horrible capitalist joke about yeah. uh, how they're, how, what they're going to monetize that, that moral question. God. We had to get weird Melmatics in here somehow. Somewhere. Um, I hope this hasn't been too heavy. Um, I will say uh, that is the end of our content warning on that topic uh everything (laughs) now welcome back to anyone who may have dipped out um shannon do you want to do you have something you didn't like about the book you want to talk about oh oh right we're still here um we're still here oh wow i was just like that was great (laughs) that was good that was good conversation um i don't think there's anything i really strongly disliked uh i have a few not not even nitpicks but just a few things where it's not really my genre specifically like it was a little bit it was a little bit more alternate history than it actually is sci-fi fantasy in some ways um so nothing like i wouldn't say these are even things i disliked but these are things i'm a little bored by so um like the the ulrich and the mob plot they were fine they like they got john where we needed to go like and it's i thought it was like a great reason for him to emotionally be where he was uh but it also is just a it doesn't really interest me um like i don't like i'm just oh the mob and 20 minutes in the future type this is kind of just like city in like inner city modern life stuff that i'm not really interested in my fiction i really i just really prefer like being with uh like the the trio in the in the old world kind of kind of thing um dealing with the whites and john's uh going through and learning about this world so on the whole um you know the the people like ryan and jen again they got the characters did what they needed to do but they were also reminders of kind of being from a more boring plot because they're boring people um so it's the kind of thing i think everything achieved what they were supposed to do they they got the right emotion out of me and they did like what they were supposed to do but it's sort of there's nothing going to get around the fact that i think like ryan being a cop and is kind of boring and jen being like a a really evil person who also is you know pretended to be dead and like from to to do her own medieval history nonsense in like a really condescending way and ulrich and his mob thing and and every mob character actually they were all just kind of fine i don't really have huge dislikes i don't this isn't this this isn't like a fact of like this ruined the book for me but they are just aspects that i found didn't grab me that makes sense i also didn't really have dislikes it's like i disliked ryan and jen but 
you're supposed you're to supposed dislike to. Riot and Jen. Yeah. I think the thing I like dislike the most is this is probably never going to get a sequel. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> it was a good sequel hook. <laughs> like, it has such a good sequel hook. Yeah. They're like, this plot arc is resolved. Like, it wraps up very nicely. But there's enough like interesting hooks in the world that I want more, please. Brandon, mm-hmm. just add another book to your never-ending list of things you want to write. Please. Please. <laughs> I want to get a little bit into Ryan and Jen, just because they were such a almost out-of-place element. They were out of place on purpose, but I also can see like maybe that they were a little bit rushed. I think we might we could have gone into more of it, but they were they were pretty nasty people and i i kind of enjoyed the moment of realizing that how bad they were because you get the hints of what kind of person ryan is before the reveal Mm. uh later um oh gosh like i don't i don't i don't know if my experience was the same for others but this goes back into understanding john's inferiority complex or feeling like a loser all the time it's like when you're put into a relation against your cooler friend there is like that moment where it's sort of like you feel he feels like it's right and correct for ryan to have yelled at him the way he did and it was like that was like one of those things where it's so painful like i i had to sort of skim it uh because it's like okay i I've been in this place. I, I maybe think other readers have been in this place. Not all of, not all of y'all, but you know, some of us of like feeling like when you're set, like being in the second place to someone, it feels like natural and like how it should be. And he's just, Oh, finally I put it on the table, you know, like now it's, now it's out there for everyone to see. We finally, we're finally being honest about it. I was so caught up in like knowing how that felt like and like i know exactly what's going on and why he did it and why he did it that way that like i missed like i've been so much in that position before that when uh the reveal for ryan came i looked back and that actually was almost helpful for me and just being like oh the fact that ryan did that in the first place was a bad sign and it was like i it was almost like i was i've been so much in john's place before i didn't even realize how bad a sign that was for ryan uh so i don't know if that's relatable but yeah both john provoking it and ryan actually saying it all was yeah i don't think i've closely read i don't think i've closely read that scene ever like i think like in all my reads both and like i've skimmed it a couple more times than my my two reads i don't think i've ever gone to that scene and just been like uh, the close read i think i'm just skim and then just try let let me get let let me wait till this is over i can't handle it it's so difficult and just like the little thing of like in the text of the book he thinks of himself as John. Yeah. Always. Always. He always introduces himself as John. And yet Ryan and like everyone else like still just calls him Johnny. Like even though he has never introduced himself like that. And it's like yeah. the dis like the disrespect. It shows that it, it, it's, it's so disrespectful. And it shows that 
Vian doesn't pay attention to him. Yeah. Like he thinks like he knows John, but he really doesn't. Which is really sad for someone you're supposed to have been friends with all your life. And it speaks to the kind of relationship that they've had their entire lives of um, Ryan is like the the shining golden one. And John is used to putting himself to the side and like kind of like making excuses. And like, this is why it is the way it is. Um, of course, like, you know, like he comes up with reasons in his head why the, why the way Ryan did it is right and correct. And the way he well, if Ryan thinks that then the way I did it was wrong. Um, because yeah. Ryan has succeeded, right? Ryan has succeeded in everything. So if he succeeded, he's right. And because John has spent a lot of time not necessarily getting what he wants in life, it's. I think it was unfortunately so easy for him to think, I'm doing it wrong if I'm not doing it like Ryan, mm -hmm. you know? And that just makes the scene where Sephawen and Aylston, like use his chosen name, Runian, like pointedly in defiance of Ryan trying to correct them feel so good. It does. And I feel like their immediate refusal to take Ryan's like uh, Ryan, Ryan's taking point and they're not following his lead. That was also a moment of like, oh, hold on a second. My new friends are reacting to him in a way like so that's also a sign. I was like, oh, we aren't supposed to agree with Ryan here, actually. We're not supposed to think what he's doing is good here. My new friends like me and respect me more. And it was like they've known him for days and they're already like they they think they 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 treat John like a little bit like, oh, you're a silly goose, but like they like him, they respect him. they they talk with him about their thoughts and feelings. And when John get things wrong, sometimes they're a little like, oh, come on, man. But they're also they also explain things. and like he changes his mind. You know, John does listen to them. I think it gets into that John and Ryan have been friends since they're they've been children. But I don't think they actually like each other. <laughs> I think they've it, it's a habit at this point like they've been friends for so long so that must mean they are friends they're not yeah I, I don't think Ryan likes John for sure and I think John might be trying to like Ryan and telling himself he likes Ryan but not like if he examined it that would pretty quickly fall apart I, yeah I I think Ryan also doesn't examine. I think he I think he thinks he's fine with with John. I think he's like, oh, yeah, I like John. John likes me or Johnny likes me is what he would say. He hasn't examined like he he feels very comfortable in like their their relationship as a hierarchy. He's very comfortable with um, him knowing what to do and telling Johnny how to do things and telling Johnny um, what he needs to do in order to fix things. And he's he's very used to this dynamic. And I think he he also is not examined. He probably thinks everything is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we can all agree if you want to break up with someone, break up with them. Don't ghost them and let your mother, your grandmother, I don't remember which, tell him you're dead and just leave it at that. That's, that's bad. That's pretty bad. That. That's pretty bad. It's not like at some point you have to go, oh, how did I get myself into this mess? I don't know how we got here. 
there's a pretty clear moment of how you got here. Also, if you're cheating on somebody two weeks into a relationship, you should not be in that relationship. Just break up with them. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, it's the thing. It's like what Jen did was so dramatically terrible. I know it's not going to read as real to some people, but it's like, come on. Some people really are just like that. Um, let, let the moment be dramatic. This woman has no concept of proportion or what's appropriate. Just let her be terrible like that. It's like, I, the moment she showed up and like admitted like, oh, my grandma told you were dead. And I guess I just, you know, whatever. I guess I would just let that go. Like I would like I just startled into laughter. Like that was like I couldn't believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like also like Jen. his parents, his <laughs> sister knew she was alive. No one told him. This oh is like why you're rooting for John to not leave this place it's like oh you have nobody Sephwin and Aelstan like you they're your family now you you stay here you stay here son yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. there's nothing for you in that reality just stay here it's better it has magic it's automatically better oh god I don't think I have much to say more on Jen but oh boy yeah. oh boy I was just um, kind of like haha you're terrible. Hilariously yeah. terrible. Hilariously terrible. Um, oh, another quick thing. I did forget to say this in like the general likes, but I did want to bring up the the thing with like Azura Mazda. That was very interesting. When I when we first get into this scene where he meets Yazad and Yazad is explaining like he's he's a missionary and he's from like the the region around the Middle East. And at first, like as a reader, I'm like oh no what's he gonna do here like what weird alternate history thing and i was like the christian uh, missionaries and all of this and then all of a sudden azura mazda and i was like it was almost like a moment of like relief i was like oh he didn't go there and then i was like huh so i you know you you go to google this is a this is a real thing this is zoroastrianism um Around Mazda, not a car, um, or at least it wasn't originally a car. Uh, so, uh, very, very cool turnaround. I, th- I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna comment on the the religious nature of what what Brent what about what needle Brandon had to thread here because he, I think there was a bit of a needle here in terms of talking about this openly. But I thought it was. A really interesting history where it's like actually Christianity never really did take off, um, and we're off here on a whole other yeah reality like, branch. Like they do get mentioned as existing. They they exist existed like, yeah. Um, because when like John is talking to Yazad about like oh you're like a monotheistic religion like like he brings up Christianity and like. Yazad like recognizes it as like oh yeah like oh this is this other group so it seems like in this world like Zoroastrianism is like the monotheistic religion that spread through the world or is starting to spread through the world rather than Christianity which is interesting yeah I was like he he did an interesting thing without 
without stepping in it, or at least I I think he didn't step in it. Um, fingers crossed. I hope um, it was just one of those. Oh, this is an actually interesting take on uh, on it, and I like and I like that he just didn't like take a normal path of saying oh like like the christians are still here but it just happened a different way like i thought it was so different and unique to that that he went for zoroastrianism but he also didn't make it a joke izad is not a joke um he didn't in my mind from from what i read and what i understand of the doctrine izad is also not just basically just a christian but with a zoroaster like title slept over it um it felt very like actually different i just i just was very impressed by this and i i and i loved the moment of like the bait and switch of what you think is going to happen i liked it because it helps to show that medieval england was more entirely politan (laughs) but like like different parts of the world have been in contact with each other for a very long time Mm. It's like, we don't think of like people of color being in England, but they, they were there. Boats. They had boats. They had, mm-hmm. they had their trade routes, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, so like, it was great. We know who this guy is. We know where he's from. It's not startling or shocking to us that he's from such a distant land. He's just here visiting us for a time. Isn't it nice? Mm-hmm. He's a little weird, but we like him. And like, I also liked him. Because he gave some context for like other parts of the world, like in his homeland, like we don't have whites. Our spirits of the air are far more dangerous and only prayers keep them away. Once in a while, you find a less dangerous one. We think perhaps they are the remains of the gods that ruled the deserts before we received the light of Ahura Mazda. So it's interesting, like whites, like as an expression of the magic system of this world like aren't everywhere they seem to be like a northern europe thing like which makes me interested in like other parts of the world like asia or like the americas what else is going there very interesting world concept brandon would love another book (laughs) yeah i guess um the last thing i really wanted to get into was talking about why i really like john and sefuin's arcs and combined arcs so much. So I, I mentioned this briefly in in the in a the portion in the middle where I thought that John and Sefwin both feeling like imposters in their own unique way and circumstances, but that was that's the core of their issue that needs to be solved, like their core dilemma, their core pain was really compelling although it was from john's perspective i really enjoyed seeing cephalin transform from someone who looks like she has it all together um she is a like she is an expert in what she does but she also has her 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 really big insecurity her really big self-doubt one of the things i'm always kind of on the lookout for and i'm really concerned by is when female characters are treated as experts but they're kind of like almost distant from being human like they they get to be good at things but they don't get to have feelings or they don't get to have nuance or depth um but i really felt as we got to know sephawin people who are people who are insecure or have these kind of doubts or feel like imposters 
are pretty good at pretending because they don't want to be found out now. And this can even lead to further beliefs in their competence. The whole thing about imposter syndrome, you actually are competent and you know, like you, you know what you do and you just feel like you aren't. But seeing John and Stefan start actually having conversations about this and surprisingly emotional conversations about their feelings in this regard, I thought was one of the better setups for uh, the development of a relationship that Brandon has done. I was I was really touched by it. I really liked how John John is trying really hard to impress people all the time. He like he does a little like it's a little bit more joking in the beginning of the book when he's like, you know, the handbook is like, you're a super powerful wizard. Tell them you're a super powerful wizard. Um, but John very, very clearly, it's gradual, but clearly and irrevocably is able to reveal to to Sephuin, like the depth of like, oh, I I am just a regular guy. I don't know what I'm doing. And because he is able to do fantastic things, they don't really believe that he is just a normal guy. And that 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 comes at the end when he's sort of like proven that compared to his own people, he is, you know, he, he, he's not unique. Like he, he doesn't have things that the others don't. He he's, his nanites are, you know, are even like even like inferior to what the others can do because he has this lock on it. And so it takes time for Cephalon to believe him that they're even in the same boat. So it becomes John trying to impress her, John trying to be honest with her, and then John being able to prove that he was the average guy he said he was. He wasn't he doesn't want the distance of being impressive to Cephalon because Cephalon doesn't want impressive. Because what's valuable to Cephalon is that she's not alone because she feels very alone and so that's that's kind of what i really liked and then we when we get to see cephalin and learn about her through john's eyes it's it's a story of like her slowly and carefully trying to believe that there could be more that they could have more as a people and as a as an as an individual she feels like she doesn't deserve to have any of this like the power to to call whites being a scop like she can't make the scop thing work in the way that she knows it's supposed to work and so like the her story is like she she finally gets the the self-belief and the confidence that i do deserve this i do deserve more i deserve this life and it's it was really interesting i thought how john and stefan weren't necessarily I don't I don't like the whole like they they complete each other. I think that that's always a garbage idea, but I do like I do like how they mirrored each other and it was almost like they gave each other the the key to keep going. And I thought that was like in a in a way of like not that now that I've met you we're we're complete and we have to, we don't have to do anything, but now that we've met each other we can lean on each other and I know how to keep going is sort of what I felt. And that's, that's really why I liked it so much. You don't have to like John Stefan, but. <laughs> I think you made me understand it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I could just listen to Shannon talk about characters to no end. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> mm -hmm. I liked the, like, they don't complete each other, but they give the key to keep on going. Yes. That was a good line. <laughs> I'm just happy that like they're in a good spot at the end of the book. Like they're going around, 
she's doing her scop thing like telling stories recruiting more scops and he's doing putting on puppet shows puppet shows it's just so it's like oh here's here's a cool use of like the the magical things i can do magical to these people mm. and it was just like that's 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 perfect. I love that it's not anything to do with his past life. It's mm-hmm. it's not like it's not about him being like, I have to be good at fighting. It's not I have to be good at protecting people. He's good at being silly and well, like, telling stories to people. It kind of does go back to his old life because like he went to art school. He did like, go to art school. Whoa. So it's like and that was before like he got into the fight. So like this is like I think more to like his original like hope for himself of like being an artist before like that fell apart and then something else fell apart and it all just like led to him being a fighter and i do like how it's almost it it, like he leans into the whole like being a goof part of it it's mm-hmm. you know being a scop like she she's the one who kind of gets like the the big serious i'm gonna like the teller of stories and the and here's the drama and i'm all, like here's the news here's the here's the more serious things and I, I the concept of him doing puppet shows is just like i'm here to make people happier because he like that's the i think that was the kind of thing he he really he really was kind of good at he was he wanted to be a goof he was telling jokes or trying to tell jokes even though sometimes they didn't get what he was saying it was like that was the vibe and i'm really i know there's a lot of ways to get a happy ending and all like i felt like i was like oh are we just like happy that there was a happy ending because that's nice um Mm -hmm. but it was i like the specific way that they were said to be happy uh yeah Mm-hmm. Is like Sephuin gets her validation and respect and and that like she gets confirmed as being what she she's told herself she 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 is, <laughs> you know. So great. Yeah, because like they're getting their fulfillment, but it's not the other person giving them that fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. They they helped each other to get there, but they didn't like them being in a relationship wasn't the fulfillment itself it's not the reason that they're happy now i'm like i'm sure they're it is happy that they're together but when the it's like icing on the cake it's icing Mm -hmm. yeah for people who are into that kind of thing it's extra joy that they have so (laughs) another small thing i liked that i want to touch on is that like the concept of um, Clark's law, like any sufficiently advanced science, is indistinguishable from magic. Like it's a it's a concept that gets explored a lot in science fiction and fantasy, particularly by Brandon. Mm-hmm. But it is fun to see. It's, it's so it's like there's a bunch of like little things in how John's like augments and his things are touched on that I just really like because it's the the weapons that had the biometric locks like the way he explains it is like oh the weapons know their owners and that is oh, yeah. such a high fantasy way of describing that i love it yeah i like that they aren't thrown by the concepts it's like oh, okay yeah i understand what you're saying we just the gun knows who you are sure yeah what can you say to that it's right <laughs> that's the right way to say it <laughs> the whole eagle thing like i was amused by Cause like I picked up on like 
that being elf very early just because i know some basic linguistics and like yeah this is the same word yeah you say it out loud elf oh got it <laughs> mm -hmm. like it it's good the way they're describing it like does kind of match like the legends of elves like in our world so it's like yes like this all makes sense like they're smart people like they're working with the information they have mm -hmm. I, I think we've talked a lot about the text of the book a fair amount uh given there's three of us and it's a non-cosmere book but that's not all this book has to offer there's also cool art from steve argyle what did people think of it i really really likes the doodles i it, it's, it's like it's, it's a stepping stair for me i really likes the doodles i likes the frugal wizard pages i didn't dislike the full color pieces but some of them i i liked and then some of them i felt like didn't there was something almost uncanny valley about them to me mm. i'm not sure totally where it comes from but there was something where i was like this is giving me weird vibes but I, I I really liked the uh I liked the Cephawin one. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was killer. It's the bookmark in the frugal wizard box. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, that's a that's a good choice. They knew. They knew. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh yeah, I actually I do like the um I feel like almost that the the full color, like those are a kind of a given in these in these secret projects. They seem to be like the like the highlight, but like they're all getting them. I I really enjoyed the the more silly stuff too. Like uh, as much as like I I don't necessarily enjoy like the silliness in the text. Like I thought they were they were cute for what they were. Like the handbook is a little bit of a lighter satire like in in between the the pages so like thinking them as, as their own unique thing like i was like oh this is kind of funny like they they made me laugh brought my mood up when i saw them i actually got a couple giggles like for real out loud of uh at them so this is where i confess that i did this in audiobook when they came out <laughs> so i missed the art so but like so like scrolling through it like it at some point, like, I am going to, like, have to physically read this to get mm. experience of, like, the doodles in the margins. Because it is very well done. Like, I'm, I'm scrolling through it. And, like, yeah, like, th this is cool stuff. I need to, I need to read the um, image descriptions myself because I know I was, like, a little bit confused about what was going on sometimes in the little doodles. So I need to... There are, there are image descriptions. If anyone doesn't know, those exist. Oh, good to know. Oh, and the chapter icons. Those were cool, if sometimes confusing, about which chapter you were on. Mm. Yes. It's like the illustrations. Like I, I'll, I love like the, the, the sun does an arc across over the course of the book. That's really cool. Like the different um, rune stones are really cool. The arcane glyph that's just a bunch of lines equal to the chapter number. I'm like not as useful as an actual chapter number. I'm, I will say. <laughs> Pretty. <laughs> oh yeah, looks super cool. Have no concept of what chapter I'm on. 
<laughs> Before the comments pointed out, you can you can see like up on the the very top of the page where it goes Brandon Sanderson Frugal Wizard's Guide etc or handbook. Uh, there is it, oh, it'll yeah. tell you which chapter you're on, but it took me a while to realize that. I will admit. Yeah, I can see that now. So I think we're kind of wrapping up there. So no, who's that Cosmere character this week? Because we're not in the Cosmere. <laughs> so doesn't make sense. Such as it is. But uh, thank you for watching. You can find us on 17thshard.com for all the news, discussion, theories, and fun that you could ever want. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And you can support our Patreon for as little as $1. Just one. Um, <laughs> our next episode is on Secret Project 3. A little more timely on that one. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.